Hi, Ben. Thank you so much for joining me here on Green by Design. Um, for those of you tuning in today, um, this show, Green by Design, is meant to help professionals in the home industry and design industry to find a voice for a cleaner and greener way forward. Um, and I am your host, Erica Reiner from Eco Method Interiors, and I have with me here today Ben Mead. And Ben is very interesting because um, he has a background in chemistry and textiles chemistry and has used that to work within uh, different companies that deal with products and textiles. And that's really exciting because as I always talk about when you're trying to green a home and a home design, it there's the good, better, best system that a lot of us use where we're trying to find things that are good, things that are a little bit better, and then the things that are best. And for me, best often includes a third-party certification indicating that there's no harmful substances or that something was made responsibly or so on and so forth um, within the green or clean world. And so what's great is that today we're going to have a little bit of an inside look at that certification process and what that means and how it all works. And that is what um, Ben's expertise is as he oversees um, the OEKO text certification whole rigmarole here for the United States for the Hohenstein or Hohenstein Hohenstein um, company, which is one of the third party companies that are doing certifications um, under that uh, label. So thank you so much for coming, Ben, and bearing with me through my technical difficulties and spending the time talking to me today. Yeah, it's great, Erica. Thanks for having us or thanks for having me and, and letting us talk and share sort of our story and what we're doing and how we're sort of relating to what, what customers are wanting and what consumers are looking for, I think, a little bit more in the marketplace today. Absolutely. Now, tell me just um, a little bit about how you came to be your journey, like how you came to be doing what you're doing now and what that path was like for you and what you think about what you're doing right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it would start in terms of sort of education and, and really studying, you know, as you alluded to, having a degree in, in chemistry and textiles is not uh, maybe that common. Um, growing up in North Carolina, certainly there's a lot more textile industry there. Um, and so I, you know, went to university and, and studied both of those and, and really focused then on, okay, what do you, what do you do with that? You, you know, just like everybody else, no matter what you're doing, you maybe go to school and don't know exactly what that's going to look like. And so I started down the path of working for a textile company, chemical company uh, as an internship and sort of working in their R&D type lab and sort of decided, okay, that's not really where I see myself spending the next 30, 40 years of my career. And so, um, and in that process, kind of learning, okay, that we're making a lot of products and what does that look like in terms of hazards and health and, and things like that. So as I went back and decided, okay, what do I want to do next? Um, then ended up going and working for a, a brand, a sports brand, and sort of stumbled into an opportunity to work in their development around working with their supply chain and understanding, you know, how do they manage the expectations of suppliers, uh, but also how do you manage more sustainability aspects. So part of that 
was chemistry, which was a good fit. And so I think that's how I found myself there. Um, but then we ended up working through, you know, expectations around water and emissions, and then even sort of how do material innovations factor in with all of those considerations as well. Right. And were you, did you know much about sustainability or green things before that role and that work life or was that sort of like an eye-opening experience for you like how did those how interested were you in it how much did you get to learn or how much did you get to bring to that yeah I mean I think that I for that I brought um a little bit of of an expectation I mean it's always kind of you go to your first job and you never know exactly what to expect anyway and that shapes I think a lot of how um, how, how you work in general, but, you know, having some classes in school and talking about, you know, chemicals that are used in industry and what do they maybe mean on the finished products, but also what do they mean in terms of a manufacturing standpoint? So I would say I was familiar with it, uh, but at the same time, I think it was a, a time when that was really growing from a consumer brand perspective as well. So I think within the organization, there wasn't a ton of experience. We were all sort of learning as we went as well. And so I think just working for a company that was really focused on, on, you know, learning that and, and putting resources behind it was a great, you know, was a great opportunity for myself, but also you can certainly see that still going forward. I think at that time there were maybe six or seven people within the whole company that were working on sustainability related initiatives. And now they probably have a couple hundred people that have it directly in their title Wow. Um, aside from people that are doing it, you know, on, on their own. So I think that that is a, it's certainly a lot more prevalent today than it was back then. Yeah. Wow. So now are you still in North Carolina? No, no, actually I, I live in Indiana. So like you, you mentioned, um, we're the representatives of, of Okatex here in the U S um, and, and my team is sort of scattered because we're working both with manufacturers of products, but also with brands that are trying to implement it into their own chemical management strategies or their sustainability strategies. So like everybody's doing right now, we're remote, but we were we were remote even before then. So most of our team is working from home offices and, and out there supporting companies where they are. Interesting. Okay. Pronounce, pronounce the, the shorthand of the certification for me. Sure. So Okotex, so it's a, a German um, Austrian foundation. So it's uh, that's where the, the pronunciation comes from. And it really means eco. So oko in German means uh, eco. And so that's uh, still carries through. I think I've, I've heard anecdotally the story that if they imagined 27 years ago, 28 years ago, when it was founded, that this was going to be an international uh, standard and something that was internationally recognizable, maybe there would be a little bit different uh, naming, but we got too far down that down that uh, path, and now you know there's too much branding behind it that you're not going to be changing the name now. So yeah, okay. Here we are. That's our number one question in the U.S. How do how do we pronounce? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'm so glad I finally learned it. I I say it all different kinds of ways in my mind when I read it, and normally I just spell it out like that on this podcast. Um, but now I know Okotex. Okay. Cool. So the point of it, uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of background on what it is and why it's beneficial. And maybe especially if you can, or if not, I'll pop in 
um, how that might be applicable to the interior design world, or if you've ever worked with any design, like specifically design trade companies. Sure. So um, the the organization of Ocatex has been around, like I mentioned, since 1992, nearly 30 years now. And it really has its foundation around chemical safety and making sure that it's a clear communicated message to a consumer that the product has been tested and is free from harmful levels of, of those substances. So chemicals that are used or have been traditionally used in, in textiles is where uh, the standard started. So you know, the name standard 100, which is one of the standards under the umbrella of Ocatex, uh, gets, it, gets its name from the fact that there were initially 100 substances that were restricted. So now, 30 years later, there's about 350 plus substances that are on that list. So we certainly see the, the knowledge about what could be used or could be hazardous growing, and that influences how does the standard evolve. Um, and so, you know, new substances are added, restrictions get tighter, um, legislation changes, all of those things can, can influence how the standard changes. Um, and likewise, Ocatex has changed as well. So there's, that's still the core standard. It's, it's what Ocatex is most known for, but there are other standards for chemical suppliers or for more sustainability practices and manufacturing. And, and ultimately all of that, you know, kind of boils down to what does it look like from a consumer and how do they, how are they able to recognize, you know, there's a standard on that product that gives me some sort of assurance and how easy for, is it for me to understand what's the meaning behind it? Because even within Ocatex, there are a couple of different consumer facing standards um, or labels. And so even knowing those differences there uh, can be significant. Right. So it's great to hear that all these new substances have been added to the list. Does Ocotex headquarters sort of assess like what, okay, basically we know that since World War II, so many new chemicals have been invented, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands. Um, so how do they, do you know how they might decide or learn about a new one that's become out onto the market and be like, okay, we're gonna put that on our list and we're gonna include that in our certification process. Yeah, so part of it comes um, from legislation. So legislation is a big piece of it. So Ocatex is a global organization. So mm -hmm. like we're sitting here in the US, we have counterparts in all other production and, and retail countries. And so as part of that annual review process, the expertise from the different regions and the different institutes, so the different labs that are that are coming together and supporting Ocatex are bringing that information and saying, okay, these are new substances that we see, you know, coming in as a concern from, you know, research or from, you know, other scientific, maybe even NGO communities and saying, okay, we're starting to talk about some of these, we know that they're being manufactured. Um, and, and Ocatex then deciding, okay, is that first, is it relevant to textiles? And second, is it is it relevant in terms of hazard, something that we should be concerned about? Um, and then part of it comes just from the experience of testing. Most of the, the um, implementation, so the actual certification is done by testing laboratories. So we're testing for Ocatex, but we're also testing in other cases. And so we collect a lot of data and we start to see a little bit more what are substances that are popping up 
um, as we're testing products and you know, what do we need to know a little bit more about those? Right, um, that's great. So pretty much from all over the world, which is great because I would assume that different parts of the world, different people in different countries are developing different things. So it's, um, and historically in the US we have outlawed a lot fewer than Europe. So that I think is really important to mention. Um, what are a couple, have you ever seen like a couple substances that have been added to the list that you were like, Oh my God, like, that's so crazy. Like, of course we should be avoiding these in our textiles. Like, have there ever been like some super concerning ones that you're like, what the heck? Yeah. I mean, I think that it doesn't, it doesn't normally work that way that we're so familiar with these chemicals. And then all of a sudden they get added, you know, certainly you get substances that you might've heard about in other places that then um, come across. So come across to like textiles or to some consumer products. So I would say, you know, it's kind of similar in the sense of like we hear about BPA in, in food and in food liners and things like that. There also could be products that are, um, you know, consumer products that are within our scope that could be made uh, with polycarbonate resins where that could be relevant. Um, so I think it's more the case of like, oh, I didn't think that that chemical was used to make that product rather than that's a chemical that we should restrict. Um, you know, when we see a lot around, you know, what I think is, is relevant, you know, even more for your listeners too, around flame retardants, around water repellents and you know, oil repellents and things like that, that can be, especially in the case that a textile is supposed to be more durable and um, you know, prevent other safety hazards. You know, how do we how do we manage that risk along both of those? And so I think those are areas where we continue to see more more growth in restrictions, uh, both around flame retardants and around um, sort of oil and, and water repellent technologies. Right, and you mean you might be referring to the restrictions in terms of acceptable levels. Yeah, both acceptable levels or really within industries, kind of what's the necessary, what's the necessary use? Yes. Right? Okay. So, um, you know, certainly within Okatex and within, within the standard 100, there's a whole list of chemicals, but then there's also different use scenarios that are important as we factor in. So if we know a product is going to be used for baby apparel, we might consider the testing requirements and the limit values a little different than you know, a decorative item that we don't think anybody's going to touch and they're certainly not going to put in their mouth, right? Because the exposure of how they get those chemicals is going to be a little different. Right. Absolutely. So you're okay. So you're considering, um, a lot of human behavior factors, you're considering use factors, you're considering, a uh, quantity or level like parts per million or trillion or whatever. You're considering a few different things to keep people safe. Um, now, I have to confess, when you mentioned North Carolina, I was going to ask a controversial or maybe like a touchy question. I don't know. I was going to ask if you've received any pushback or, um, yeah, like just pushback based on the fact that historically, redder states have been a little bit more... Um, adverse to environmental or governmental, which can include environmental controls or limits or things like that. So I'd be curious to, to know now 
about any instances like that, if you know how you've come across or the companies come across, because what I would like to see is it is sustainability and in particularly the way into sustainability as a whole through the lens of human health and safety be a nonpartisan issue. But I'd love to get any thoughts on that that you might have. I know it's a little bit of a tougher question. Well, I mean, it is. I, I certainly can take a little bit of an easy way out of it because we're, you know, Okatex and the standards are really private standards. They're voluntary standards. So it's not something that is, you know, mandated from a legislative standpoint. And so in the same way that you, you know, you talked a few minutes ago, you know, generally the U.S. doesn't have as stricter requirements as a lot of places around the world. And so I think that that, you know, that fact alone has made it a little bit slower for adoption of a standard like standard 100 from Okatex here in the U.S. just because it's really driven by a different a different mechanism pulls it, right? So it's really pulled by either a brand's commitment or a consumer demand for it. And so we see that um, a little bit more. I think a lot of times if I'm going to talk about resistance that I get or people calling me up and saying, hey, I'm mad that I have to do this, you know, it's not because they've been told by legislation that they have to do it. It's most likely because a consumer asked them to do it or their customer asked them to do it. So you know, joking aside, it's like the response is then, well, if you don't want it, you know, if you don't want to do it, that's your choice. But, you know, this is the, this is what we're seeing. And we're seeing more and more consumers asking for it, partly because they're seeing it at certain retailers and certain, um, you know, they're seeing more and more opportunity to find it. And so that's driving more and more expectation that it should be available or there should be choices, or at least they should have an easy way to know that it's there um, or know about, you know, is the product I'm buying safe outside of U.S. legislative requirements? Yes, and you just hopped into my favorite topic, which is, you know, market-driven um, cross-section between economics and um, environmental issues because, as you said, in this country, we're super, you know, capitalist market-driven, and so for in order for Okatex to become more widely applied or on lots of different things, it has to be driven by market demands and purchasing, which is a lot of what this um, podcast is about is to help designers, help their clients and help um, the industry as a whole be able to put our money where our mouth is and make those, you know, economic gains, those market share gains where, it's uh, more widely available. Maybe the price of things that are certified goes down because it evens the playing field in terms of spending, you know, the cost to get something certified. So um, that's really, really important to me. And I think to everyone who wants to understand how to make an industry or a state or any edit an organization, greener is in this country, while I think legislation is huge, I think both are hugely important, top-down legislation, et cetera. I also think we'll see really big changes if we can, A, educate a lot of people about the options that are out there and, you know, good, better, best ways of purchasing things. And 
B, once they're educated about that, actually choosing those products and materials. And then hopefully over time, we see cost of those things come down, just like I always reference, like the agricultural movement when, you know, organic food and non-GMO and locally grown became more popular um, and more affordable. I always, apologies to anyone who's heard me say this before, but I always use like the example of the time that I found in Trader Joe's that organic spaghetti was like the dollar cheaper than the regular. And I was like, we've done it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's true in a sense too, from the, econo like the economics of being able to put a label on your product and say that, okay, it's free from harmful substances or it's been tested for these harmful substances mean that that you've invested money in testing it to know that that's true um, to a certain extent. I mean, there certainly are, are other pieces that are important, which is knowing the supply chain and knowing what went into the recipes to make it in the first place. Um, and then the testing itself can be more or less a confirmation. But, um, you know, it's no secret that, you know, a lot of the products that are made are made by uh, producers that are, you know, that are making similar, you know, um, products for other companies as well. So if I buy a product from one brand in the marketplace, it might have come from the same factory, from the same suppliers um, as another one. And so even though it might look totally different, what's important to Okatex is what's the inputs that went into it. And so there is a piece of strategy there that everybody wins by if they're, if they're supporting a certification and saying, okay, I'm buying raw materials coming from this source and, and that source has already certified their products, then there can be some economy of scale in terms of the next person that comes along, not having to ask them to spend another thousand dollars testing for the same chemicals to get the same answer they expected. Um, and so that's I think that's, that's what we've seen change a little bit more in the last 15 or 20 years is that, that, you know, companies started to develop their lists and they developed them kind of in silos, but as they started to, to understand and, and see what are other companies doing with these lists, they learned that they're pretty similar, right? And so being able in a way to, uh, if I'm a brand and I say, okay, I have a list of chemicals I don't want, we can agree on that, but do I need to go out there and ask for my own test if I know that that company I'm buying from already has a certification? Probably not, right? So you might do some spot checking, but you can, you know, you're not asking them to add on another cost. And certainly that benefits you and it benefits your customer as well. That's a really great point I hadn't thought of before of how that economy of scale would work. And in general, have you seen more and more companies sign on to get the certification? Um, like what kind of popularity gains have you seen over time? Like one of my little have to cut out some dog barking. Sorry. Um, what have you seen in terms of positive shifts in your side of the industry? Yeah. I mean, there certainly is a lot of increase. Um, Sorry. In okay. Give me one second before you yeah. answer that. I think we're going to address the dog situation. Okay. There we go. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. I mean, we've definitely seen an increase in, um, demand for, for the certifications in the market. And I think that part of that is driven by, you know, every company that's selling a product has a competitor. And as they see products being sold that are labeled, um, then, then that sort of starts to, to ask 
you know, how do we, how can we get that? And so we see a lot of people that are starting down the process of getting 100 certification to really start at those places where they have suppliers that already have a certificate and get that included into their, um, into their labeling or into their portfolio. Thank you for that. Okay. So one of the last things I have on my list to ask you is do you, what do you want us to know that we haven't covered yet? Maybe on behalf of your company or the topic as a whole. Um, I, yeah, I think in terms of what do we want to know, it's a lot of it's driven by the fact that, okay, that this demand, you know, like we talked about outside of legislation is really driven from a consumer perspective. So the expect, expectation that a certification is valuable and that it's available um, is, you know, the brands, retailers, producers, they need to hear that um, or they're going to prioritize other things. And so I think that that is um, sort of number one for us is that, okay, consumers needing to understand what does the, what does the certification mean and what value does it have for them? Um, and then, then second, uh, sort of, you know, how do you prioritize what's, what does sustainability mean for you in terms of, is it chemicals going into it? Is it chemicals and um, social where it was made? Is it environmental from a manufacturing standpoint? Or is it all of those? Because there are certifications that exist in the market related to, to all of those holistically. You don't have to just settle for one, um, one piece of it. Well, very well said. Um, thank you so much for your time today. I so appreciate all of your really interesting um, insider insights. Um, let us know where one place that our listeners can find you or the company or anyone you um, want to be as the representative. Yeah, I mean, so the easiest way to find companies that are selling Okatex certified products is to go to the Okatex website and look at a buying guide. So there's a free tool that's there that, that companies, either uh, B2B companies are buying products or consumers can find. And so again, that's just at okatex.com. That's perfect. And so as designers, we'll be able to look, go on there and look for sheets or throw blankets or something like that, that we might need. Sure. That's a perfect uh, tool. Thank you so much again for explaining all of these really interesting things to us and giving a little peek behind the curtain. Um, I always talk about this <laughs> certification and um, I so appreciated it. So um, we will see you next time. And thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Erica.